0: Moves podcast where I will discuss movement through a conversational lens as I connect with all of Greenville's top health, wellness, and performance specialists. The focus of this podcast is to approach movement as a treatment option for longevity, disease, disability, and of course, performance. I am your host, performance physical therapist dr brian keith and this is season one of the podcast all right the greenville moves podcast episode i'm not quite sure at this point the the lineup's got a little confused but we are uh, in studio, Furman University with the men's basketball and men's golf strength coach, Mr. Matt Aldred. Matt, thanks for your time today.
1: My pleasure, man. Thanks for coming over.
0: Now, you just finished up doing a strength session with some athletes, correct? Yep. What team was you working with just them?
1: So I had uh, my men's basketball group. Um, it was my third group in the morning with them. I had men's golf at 6.30. Um it's always nice to put that one in there to show show the grind of the profession. No, um, yeah, I finished with uh, my men's basketball group. Three guys, um, just a, a general prep period and phase we're doing as the as the first off season block.
0: Now, before we dive into your background, we have to talk about the game last night, Gonzaga Baylor. We are recording this the day after the national championship. Obviously, Baylor um, just more physical, more dominant, more explosive, and. I think you are like me when you watch these teams play you're looking at it behind the lens more or less and thinking of the the medical staff the strength staff because this is your reality and a lot of people were discussing how the Baylor's team was just more physical more dominant and I think that is attributed to people like you and your profession and doing what you do behind the scenes to get these athletes prepared for that environment so what did you think of the difference between Gonzaga
1: and Baylor uh, you know it's, it's a tough one obviously Baylor very um physically imposing aesthetically pleasing you know you got the biceps you got I mean these guys are just slight studs um and but it's tough for me because you know I've got to know the Gonzaga strength coach and I, I fully believe in everything he does I love their development model I love um you know the stuff they do in the weight room and let's remember like this team was unbeaten until last night mm-hmm. so like they might not look like Timmy might not look like he's got biceps the size of boulders, but like his footwork is elite, you know. And Suggs, his athletic, athletic ability, Nemha, you know, all those guys like, they're unbelievable athletes. Like they're, they're like their cognition, their understanding of the game is high, high level. It's just they came across a Baylor team that were on it from the start, and they obviously built that lead. Tough dudes, yeah, like very, very athletic, you know, fast lateral movement, but like you know Gonzaga were undefeated until last night so like they've beaten some teams so it's I don't want people to get carried away thinking like Baylor just manhandled them it's like well you know Gonzaga went to overtime um, and maybe I'm biased because I just love their development model but like yeah the physicality probably had something to do with it uh, but it's very hard to mentally recover from such a bad start mm-hmm. and I think that had more to do with it than you know the, the size of Baylor's guys you know they were out rebounding them big early on um, which which obviously doesn't help the psyche but yeah, both, both very imposing teams. They impose their will on you, um, but just in different ways. Yeah, I love that you You know,
0: you know, can't take credibility away from Gonzaga for everything that they've accomplished just because of one 40-minute performance. You, know, you have to look at the, the, uh, the whole season of the body of work that they've completed. Um, so obviously people are going to listen to this, and it's like a tale of two cities. You've got deep <laughs> Appalachian <laughs> accent from me. And then you've got England over here. I feel like if I could trade accents with you for a week, my life would be so much better. <laughs> so, so tell us where this accent comes from.
1: Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> hometown of Eastbourne, yeah, England. Uh, yeah, a little bit different to the to the South Carolina and the uh, yeah the Southern one you're rocking over there. Um, but yeah, so Eastbourne. Uh, I, I, I went to college for three years uh, in England, uh, university. I came out to Florida to play two years soccer in Pensacola, Florida. Um, went home, personal trainer for a little bit, uh, semi-professional soccer player, uh, and then I just, I wanted to work with performance athletes, and I would experienced the college system over here as an athlete, and I just thought the strength coaches' jobs look fun, man. like young guys, musical day, like just being able to work out, obviously in Pensacola, like beautiful weight room, beautiful weather, and so I, I was like, you know what, like I want to work with performance athletes, and I want to work with athletes that I feel I can heavily impact on their lives, 18 to 20 year olds the performance model of American colleges is just way superior in my opinion than English colleges. In England you're an amateur, strictly. Here you're an amateur, but you get treated like professional in every way. Um, so yeah, found my way out here, two years in uh, Alabama, Huntsville, uh, a year at uh, Florida, and then uh, this is my third season with Furman right now in South Carolina, absolutely loving it.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, you, you come from a, a soccer background obviously, which mm-hmm. is nothing, well there's obviously carryover, but that's not golf, that's not basketball. So what was that transition like? And obviously we're gonna we're gonna pick your brain as we dive into this, but what was that like?
1: It was fun. Um, you know, when I first came out and I did my two years at Alabama, I was working with men's and women's soccer, men's and women's tennis and men's lacrosse. And I loved I love working with soccer. Like it I just kinda of felt myself almost coaching them the game during their games. Like I'd look at the people that played my position, centre midfield, hey man, you gotta do this, hey man, you gotta do that and I was just kinda of going down a path that I wasn't really comfortable with. Um and I think comfort's the right word there because I was almost in a comfort zone of like this is what I did when I was a player like this is what I think you need and yeah there's a knowledge area there but you know when I went to Florida I had no experience working with basketball and I absolutely loved it I love the pace of the game I love every possession counts I love the athleticism you see I love the swings and the momentum um, I love programming for it like you know it's a big culture of, of strength training uh, within basketball teams and like hey I want to get stronger I want to get fit and more explosive with soccer it's a 90 minute game it's more aerobic and yeah there's obviously like components of strength and speed but like a lot of it's technical skill and proficiency um you know you look at someone like david silver who's like the skinniest one of the skinniest players in the premiership but like the impact he made is like profound um and so i just think there's more of a buy-in with basketball and like i say i kind of was fortunate to be at florida um and that really set me up well for you know thinking you know what like basketball like like yeah i like this and obviously i went to march madness with florida and it was incredible i was like yeah let's do this um I almost think it gives me the f- the fact that we've had some successful seasons with injury rates not you know being low and with performance uh, parameters being being pretty pretty good. It's it's nice because I've had to just learn a new sport and I think when you have to get outside your comfort zone and you geek out over it like that for me professionally has been amazing. Like I've loved having to completely start again, needs analysis, and learning every day. That's what makes this job so fun.
0: Yeah, and I think I first discovered you on Twitter of all places, I believe, because um, I follow a lot of strength coaches and movement professionals in that world. Um, and it's such a great place to uh, engage and learn and connect with other people. And I think someone had retweeted some of your content. And I was like, hey, that's that's Furman University I was like, let me let me reach out to this guy. And obviously, I reached out to you and you came over to my place and we talked shop for a little bit and just kind of picked your brain on some things. But I think that is just an attestment to your humility which you have to be in this industry of of working with uh, some movement patterns and a group of athletes that you know you didn't yourself have much experience in and it's like you're i can tell by the way that you put content out and how you carry yourself that you're just a student of this industry like you're always looking to learn and grow from other professionals and i think that is what moves this entire industry forward is people like you
1: Oh, I appreciate that um I think it it definitely I think honestly it helps that I didn't play the sport because I can say hey guys we're going to do this position and we're going to do this movement I want you to be game like here like I, I'm not going to tell you how that feels I'm going to tell you if I see energy leaks in your in your movement proficiency here I'm going to cue you up on certain things but like just be a player be a player right now and I think in the weight room that's, that's kind of I wouldn't say it's a lost art um but I think it gets forgotten about. And I think we're so robotic in this, Like, no, have some freedom of movement, like getting different planes of motion. Um, And I think that's really helped because the players are like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, I feel like I'm on the court. Hey, I'm working on this and I've got a resistance band on my hips and I'm doing some jumps. And yeah, like he's just telling me to, yeah, just express yourself. Like, let's have some expression in there. Let's have some intrinsic motivation that you have a say in your development. And I think that that goes a long way. Um, And also, you know, I'm not trying to be a fraud. I'm not trying to say, hey, this is what you got to do when you're, it's like, they see me shoot before practice. Like it's getting better, but it's still terrible. You know, so like I'm not trying to pretend I'm, I'm this stud player. Like I'm just, hey, I'm your strength coach. Like hopefully you buy into my knowledge area, my, my willingness, my curiosity to learn. Uh, I reach out to a ton of really, really good dudes, like really smart guys. I learn a lot from them and I just try and implement that knowledge at this level
0: yeah I think you and I've seen your post where you mentioned like giving the players the autonomy to kind of choose areas that they want to work on and I think that helps them obviously trust you and get that buy-in right because yeah. um, that that relationship between athlete and provider or athlete and strength coach is just so important you know like they need to know that you have their back you're on their side you, you have their best interest in mind when it comes to their performance their health their wellness and just their overall development so um big fan of your work but um I want to kind of talk about, you know, how do you assess a player day one, you know, whether it's the offseason or well, let's just say it's the offseason. You know, what are some things, what are some assessments that you're doing to say, hey, we need to address this for this player, this for this player. And then, obviously, what do we need to work on as a team, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, I think first of will look at their body composition. I think that's really important. Uh, we have some some access to some stuff here at Furman where, where, where we do that. We can see their lean mass and fat mass. Um, and, you know, we want generally our guys to be under 10% body fat. Um, so if they say they're 16%, uh, they're going to be in the fluffy category, I like to call it, and they're going to be on a body comp program. So we're going to try and lean them out. because obviously you can't carry around 16% body, body fat for 40 minutes and all this, like it's just putting too much pressure on your joints. So that's one of the first things we do there to, to kind of put bucket them and put them in a certain program. Um, and then we'll do, you know, testing in the weight room. Well, I like to do some qualitative analysis. So just filming them do a single leg squat, filming them do an overhead squat. I think overhead squat front and side, you get a really good look at t spiral low back, hips, knees, ankles. I think you just get so much from that. Um, and it's incredible to see some of the overhead squats we've had from freshmen. And then you compare it even to like six months later, you're like, okay, he's moving so much better. And it's not that we're doing overhead squats every day to improve that. We're just training 4 of motion, correct exercise progressions. they're actually kind of developing into their body um in the right way and then they do the right ranges of motion and and then they're able to get in those positions better Um, so we do that you know we'll do vertical jump um we will do a frog jump we'll do a penta jump which is three frog jumps in a row uh we'll do various training uh room assessments so thomas test ankles knees hips, shoulders um and then we'll do some on-court tests just to kind of look at their speed parameter you know kpi stuff um but yeah, in the weight room that they're the main they're the main ones and we take pictures of them as well you know progress picks are obviously important um, we do a chin up test that's my maximum you know that's my upper body test so just to see how many they can do and it's fun you know we. I think my first summer here we had a player who was all conference and he couldn't do a chin up and by the season he could do three and it's like okay three on the grand scale of things isn't a lot but for this player that's huge you know that. I mean you think the percentage improvement there and it's like just the, boy, the buy-in the guys had and and that's fine as well. it gets them competitive um and we're using some force plates actually this year as well which is good so we're doing a drop jump and we're doing an isometric mid thigh pull and we're doing a uh, counter movement jump and hopefully i can put them in buckets there with who needs power who needs more strength who's stretch shortening cycle sucks etc um so that's that's a new one we've had uh here which is really cool
0: yeah, so if, if you don't assess, you're just guessing, right? And yeah. it sounds like you are assessing all these different pillars. And for those of you that are listening, he you know, he mentioned thoracic spine. So when we see basketball athletes, most people just think of, like, lower extremity injuries, you know, hips, knees, ankles, foot, right? But you mentioning the T-spine and how that can influence rib cage and breathing mm-hmm. and how that can influence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pelvic position and low back and how that alone can have influence downstream yeah. in the chain. I've seen a lot of your stuff, and you post a lot of foot stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have posted a lot of foot stuff myself, too. And I, I talked to several people, and I'm like, um, you know, I got this from Matt. I saw some of the stuff that he posted. But I want you to just kind of let us kind of peel back that curtain and go inside your brain just for a second and talk about how important the foot is mm-hmm. in the game of basketball and just general performance as a whole.
1: Yeah, I think it's – um, I definitely think it's an emerging – area where people are really kind of geeking out and training and and i'll be one of those guys in that covid period you know i spoke to like i mentioned earlier a lot probably like 20 of the best strength coaches in my opinion in the country with basketball and some of their emphasis on on barefoot stuff and foot health before the workouts i was like you know it's such an easy thing to do like i I roll out and then do some barefoot stuff and i i I say that in a a nice way i'm not you know um, neglecting their knowledge here but it's it's easy to implement, I should say. So I was like, let me try this, and and we did it. You know, we have we were training hard when we got back. We had an optional session on the Saturdays, and I was like, look, they've been training so hard this week. Let's just do something different on those Saturdays, and that's where the um that's where the barefoot stuff came in, and, and it yeah, kind of the guys loved it. It got them a really good sweat. I felt like it was kind of still general prep, uh, general prep, really good for their for their tendons, the Achilles, um, and, you know. So and it kind of developed from there. Um, and I also just think you know personal experience. If I've had you know, when I've started running again, I'm having like hip pain, and I'm like, why is that? If I, if I roll my foot on a lacrosse ball, I guarantee you my left hip, if it's the one hurt, my left plantar fascia is tight as anything. And I'm like, oh, and then when I roll that thing, and I'm not trying to diagnose anything here, like I'll be a doctor, but like, when I roll it, my hip pain goes away, and that's my personal experience. So I'm like, that was like a, a light bulb moment of like, look after the feet, protect these things, because they're wearing shoes that are just so tight on them. They're always having their ankles braced, well, guess what? Let's strengthen the ankles as well, because you can't prevent ankle sprains. But you, can, if the stronger the ankle is, the quicker you recover from one. And so it's like if we if we can look at that, and then if we can kind of have these, I, I I like to use the analogy for like the fingers. If I'm showing my guys the fingers and how important they are for how they play, it's like if you can move your toes like your fingers, the intrinsic muscles of the foot are strong. Okay, let's not neglect them. Like the importance of the big toe. If you have if you know if you don't have a big toe, you have got to learn to walk again yet we don't know how to put pressure on that big toe and that that big toe is normally the last thing to leave the floor when you accelerate and when you sprint so it's like if i can look at foot health and i i also think everything starts bottom up so it's like you can say top down as well like the importance of the brain and posture and training is so key but like everything starts bottom up so if your foot and ankle are messed up you're going to have shin problems knee problems hip problems back problems i'm fully fully bought into that so you know and some of the guys that i let's say don't produce as much power on, aren't as elastic, or aren't as forceful as the other ones. Guess what? They've had a lot of ankle sprains, and their ankle mobility sucks. They can't produce force through their ankle. They've got no lower limb stiffness, so it's like if we can fix that, if we can just focus on doing ankle prehab most days of the week in season before they get taped, I think that has really helped. Um, and yeah, I just it's it's still you know it's it's fascinating to me because even like say my own my own training is if I if I train that foot if I really roll out my feet and stretch my calves. And if I warm up my Achilles before I go for a run, whoo, I mean, I'm I'm hitting a good pace to start with. You know, so it, make, it makes me think, well, the guys need that before they practice. Mm-hmm. And the guys need that before they do a skill session. Because if they just go into skill and then that warms them up, well, they, they've lost 10 minutes of a session. I want them to be ready to go. Um, so I, I, I just, yeah, I'm a big fan of the foot. Yeah, that, that's an that's
0: incredible uh, insight there. And I think I, my mind was kind of blown in anatomy when you kind of cut open a cadaver and you're looking at the foot, you know, and you get to that fascia and you see – just all of these intrinsic muscles of the feet and you've got layers upon layers of individual muscles of the feet and it's like there's a reason for those muscles right you take someone's body weight and then you have gravity and all this force expression and they're trying to jump and land and cut like you better have you know strong wills if you want to to take care of everything upstream so I love that kind of that bottom down approach when it comes to managing uh, injuries so, you know, obviously you have to consider energy systems when you're kind of considering programming for a basketball athlete. What are some, you know, what are some other things that you consider when you're, when you're trying to program for these, for these high-level athletes at the college level?
1: Um, I think one of the main things I'll do, you know, and I would say just briefly touching back on the testing thing, like this is the first, like it sounds like a lot of stuff we test on. Actually, that's a reduced number from previous years because what I'd find is we test a lot of things but then when it came to retesting i didn't want to take away from training time because it's so valuable so i was like we often wouldn't retest and so it's like yeah if you if you don't test like if you don't assess you're guessing it's like that's correct in the first part but i'm trying to do a better job this year of like retesting after every 6 weeks and so i'm trying to reduce the numbers and that's where the force plates have been awesome because it saves all the data and it can give me a nice trendy graph um, but yeah related to that you know uh, looking at the um, you know the the injury sites of the guys is something i really consider so like you know, lower backs, obviously, for a lot of basketball athletes, they're so tall, is an injury site. Scap retractors, very weak. Um, hamstrings, very weak. And then and then VMO development, I think, is key. Um, you know, obviously, VMO being such an important knee stabilizer. And then hamstrings being such an important muscle for, like, deceleration. You know, and oftentimes with the guards, they're so quad dominant. It's like, no, we need to develop their posterior chain. Uh, and lower back, you know, these guys grow at such a quick rate in high school. They might come to me and they might be six, eight, but they're weak and they are messed up. Like just all sorts of issues, hips, ankles, knees. So it's, we'll sort the feet out, but also like properly training the lower back. It's not something you should be afraid of. Yeah, you're gonna get a pump unlike anything other because it's such a big muscle. The erector is like such a big muscle. Huge. But like, and then you gotta distinguish the difference between, okay, is this pain you're experiencing right now in the session, or is it just a pump? And they'll be like, just is there a lot of blood flow there or is it shooting pain? You know, and if you when you work through that, I just think the, the erectors are such an important muscle for vertical power and horizontal power. Um, so, looking at the injury sites of basketball players is definitely a big consideration with with the programming. So
0: what is it and obviously this is this is a podcast in and of itself but kind of like what's the relationship like at the collegiate division one level between you and the medical staff whether it's the the physicians mm-hmm. the physical therapists chiropractors that you work with like what's that relationship like like how do you guys co-treat collaborate on things
1: yeah so there's myself and uh, justin games who's our athletic trainer uh, and i'm smiling because he's like he's my best mate in this place like he's he's awesome he's so smart um, he cares about the guys as much as any other member of staff. We are constantly sharing if it's an Instagram post a Twitter post, I see him every day at practice with skill. he comes and watches a session. We're doing some research with health science with the force Base he's involved in. He like, we're just t- constantly texting, constantly sharing knowledge and, and we are let, let's call it in the college world, we're the support staff myself and him. So we manage to connect on with our tracking system as well. Um, I think it's imperative. I think it's absolutely imperative if you're not on the same wavelength was, as that athletic trainer can get really sticky really dicey when you're dealing with head coach with injuries how did he get it like we've got to be on board with that what what can we prevent for next year how can we collaborate to do this testing right how can we collaborate in season to do things you know to give the guys the right nutrition and, and make sure that their treatments are, are correct and it's honestly I think I've been, I've been blessed since I came here he's he's I think he's in his seventh year here Um, he's seen a lot of stuff he's worked with the guys before I had so could give me a heads up on On various things with them but he's he's a rock star like it's uh, I couldn't do what I do in there and we couldn't have the results we have without him simple as that especially in a COVID year the amount of tests that dude had to do I mean remarkable
0: yeah communication is key in pretty much all aspects when you and the athlete you and the other training staff you and the coach like communication communication you know you hear that word so frequently and it's cliche but it it is so true um, when you're talking about just just how this whole process works um, exercise progression. I know that is a, a loaded topic there, but you know, what's some rationale? How do you progress exercises? Like take us through, you know, day one today, you know, 100
1: or whatever the case may be. How
0: are you progressing your exercises in your programming?
1: Uh, yeah, great question. I think it's, um, a very undervalued, um, way to train people. I think so often when we get to this off season block, it's like, well, we have back squat cause we've been in season. So let's get on back squats. It's just like, whoa, 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 like we need to have some exercise progressions and we need to build them back up to a back squat because normally at the, end of the season they're beat up so I, I think this phase is like resetting some training room issues it's kind of letting them learn how to train properly again so we're, d- we're counting our tempos in there uh, the guys are probably fed up it. i go to bed at night hearing four three two one but like at least i know they're getting some better time on attention sets are lasting 56 sec- 60 seconds now rather than 10 seconds uh, like they are in season with the low reps um yeah the exercise progressions it's yeah let's just go through them for, for the quads and the squat you know i would start with the front for elevated lunge i'd probably go to a, a split squat i go to a rear for elevated lunge then i probably go to a hands free front squat heel elevated probably level three box and then level one box and then i probably do a front squat and then back squat with heel elevation like you have to i think you know you spend about two weeks each phase there you know in the shoulder press like if you're you know you're going to go kneeling single arm and then you go seated double arm and then you probably go seated barbell and then standing barbell and then into a push press and a push jerk um you know and I think even for like hamstrings you know double leg leg curl uh, and then we'll probably work in some accentuated leg curl so it's two up and then you're going to go a single leg eccentric and then you might go to glute ham raise back extension first like if you don't properly prepare the muscle and you just go into high volume and then those exercises I think you're missing the boat because you've got to build the base you've got to build that base and that foundation and I know once they've gone through this okay tick 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 he is ready now his body is ready and primed to put some weight on this bar and do this movement um but you know, it's still an ever evolving process because this summer I don't think I want to do back squats with them. Uh, I think there's other ways you can get better in that sense. I, I'm, I'm looking more to do heavy, heavy single leg stuff if that's Hatfield squats, if that's rear foot elevated lunges, if that's split squats, super heavy. Like, I just think the more I can get into their reducing their asymmetries, because that's what we found through the force plates reducing their asymmetries, you know, they don't know if they're going to finish off their right leg or left leg. Hopefully, both at some times. But like, if they're landing after taking a tough hit from a layup and they got land on their right leg only like i can't have that be 40 percent weaker than the left you know and a back squat doesn't prepare you for that um i mean when you do a rebound like you're probably hitting like an eighth of a squat before you go up and get it you know you know we're going to go hamstring to calf, the calf all the way down to um you know I, I do think you should train full range of motion though so when we do a front squat uh, which we, they, they're going to get that full range of motion
0: you, you mentioned, you know, kind of having the wedge or kind of the hill elevator when you're doing a lot of your squats. Is that for, you know, every athlete, or is that just, you know, individual constraints, limitations, you know? Because like, obviously you're working with guys in basketball that have super long femurs, you know. Back squat's yep. going to be pretty difficult for them to get full range of motion.
1: Yep. Yeah, for the most part, it's I'll use it on those guys, like, um, to get that full range of motion. So hamstring to calf with a good back position. And, you know, they're only putting their heel on the board. So it takes out ankle limitations. So that's just a quick fix straight away. If you don't have a ton of time with an athlete to keep working on the ankle, if you just elevate their heels, even with like little weight plates, I mean, you're gonna go after grass real quick. Um, and I just think it, and then you can actually train the full range of motion of those exercises. So you're gonna get the full benefits of training the muscle like that. Um, but you know, sometimes we'll go flat back squat or flat um, front squat because you're gonna get more posterior chain development. There. So it's gonna put more pressure on the lower back. So it just, it almost depends on the phase they're like oh no no slant balls today coach no no we're gonna i want it to i want you to fill up more on the lower back oh okay cool and that might be if we don't have a game for a week or whatever i want to give them that lower back exposure to it but yeah i mean they they've probably the most used bit of kit in there um and i've even used it where we've had guys do um kettlebell swings facing the board so their toes are on the board um, because a lot of my guards will do a kettlebell swing and they'll be going onto their toes because they're not able to activate their posterior chain so it's like hey sit back on your heels and then you're going to feel a lot more. So they're versatile, and they're sturdy, so they work well.
0: Yeah, I think it it would be incredible if people like you could come into a physical therapy curriculum and teach exercise prescription and dosage Mm -hmm. because... A lot of people claim physical therapists to be the experts in exercise prescription, and I disagree with that all the time. I think strength coaches know far more about loading principles and exercise prescription and exercise progression than most physical therapists do. So I think – I hope all the physical therapists that do listen to this, like you're taking this knowledge away, like you need to sit down with people like Matt and pick their brain. And I've already learned so much in just the 25 minutes that we've we've spent together just on taking – you know, a squat pattern, you know, like a quad dominant movement and how you go double leg, single leg, and you're, you're progressing just the force vectors and different loads and ranges and positions like exercise progression is such a, a fun topic to dive down. Um, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about, let's shift gears for just a second and let's talk about in season programming. You know, how do you program in season? Like take us through kind of that process.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, First off, in-season is obviously one of the biggest times. Or it's such a long period of time for athletes of at basketball. It's like five months, right? So to, to just kind of put the weights away, I think, is a big area for some coaches. Even if you're a high school coach, like they need to keep lifting. They need to keep exposing themselves to those demands because you need to stay strong. And you can improve strength in-season. You can improve power in-season. Uh, one of my big things, I would say, is reducing the volume of the, of the reps and the sets, like the volume overall of the training session. You want them to leave feeling better when they came in. So, like, you, you're going to hit rep ranges. Like, I wouldn't go over fives with my starters. I'd normally be hitting, let's say, three, three, two, two, two on a trap bar deadlift. And then probably the same reps for glute ham raise. That would be A series. So, they're going to be able to load that heavy, but they're not going to feel that soreness of doing six to eight reps, six to 12 reps. And then, so obviously, they're not sore, but like, they're, they're you know, the high threshold motor units activated. They're ready to go to practice. Like, it's going to keep them healthy, all that good stuff. Um, you know, now I would say that's my starters. Now, for my reserve guys that play zero minutes or play you know the development group i'll see them every day for a lift so starters is normally twice a week if they want to come get some extra balance work they'll come in if we're not playing that week play, lift them three times but the reserves will come in every day and, and including game day game day could be a 10 15 minute pump, some you know some step back lunges some some curls some tricep extensions but my development guys i can give them more volume because again it's five months so it's more like functional hypertrophy range for them a lot of them have got to put on some weight and muscle two freshmen this year um, some of the guys need to stay lean because you know when you eat for a game and you've had all that those carbs and then you get the post-game meal you've had a lot of carbs that day and you haven't played a league so i need to keep them lean so oftentimes when they come in it might be a quick circuit it might be um you know some time on a cardio a bit of equipment um me also knowing that they're going to get a skill session that later that day and it would probably be a reserve game so they're going to get run into the ground there which is fine keep them fit um but obviously i'm trying to keep developing them so for the reserves you know, they come in as a development group and they'll do a different lift. Like, they're definitely not limited with volume. Like, they're, they're in fact, it's encouraged because I need to keep changing, giving them sti- stimulus and making sure they keep growing in season.
0: Are your starters, um, uh, do you guys lift on game days? Like, are you taking them through any, like, movement prep stuff on an actual game day?
1: Um, the movement prep stuff, if we've got an away game uh, and it's at 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock tip, we'll do a stretch in the hotel. And that would just be pad hip series and, uh, you know, some some lying down hamstring floss and maybe some lunges of sorts. But if it's a game day and we've got home game, like, I really will see the development, guys. That's it. Um, you know, I leave it. If my starters have said to me, hey, like, you know, I want to I wanna get a lift in. I want to start lifting on game day. Absolutely. I mean, that's my job. Like, come come see me. No problem. And that would be super low volume. And that would probably be, like, some you know a jumping of some kind a medicine ball slam some ballistic movements again heavy work but with, with good speed you know I'm not trying to do a heavy deadlift that takes five seconds to get off the floor you know we want to do it with speed probably not a lot of eccentric component to it obviously that's going, what's going to give you some soreness um, but yeah we you know and I see a lot of stuff on Twitter like you do you know some schools do have a really great culture with that some guys love lifting game days obviously in the NBA it's like That's what you have to do because you're playing every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, it it really depends. Um, I I don't enforce it. I don't speak to my head coach about it. If the players want to do it, I'm here. Uh, But I think in season and the strength coaches, sometimes we've got to take a step back and uh, and just, hey, let the players play. Let him sleep. Let him go to class. You don't need to come lift him. He'll be fine. He'll get a good warm-up in. He'll be good, you know? Yep. Yeah, I think
0: uh, at times we can uh, approach movement and approach human body, and especially guys at this level. Like you're talking, you know, elite class athletes. Like the body is so adaptable and resilient. You know, like we, we kind of we tend to underappreciate that aspect of of resiliency, especially at this level. You know, and uh, I think the fact that you Uh, you appreciate that but also you realize the importance of managing volume Mm -hmm. for for guys in season you know how everything is individualized and tailored to the individual's needs just just speaks to your knowledge and kind of how you approach things i guess it was two years ago maybe three years ago um someone on twitter posted the video of lebron james Mm -hmm. squatting Mm -hmm. right and I'm a big fan of point positive, right? Like you can find negativity all over social media, but point positive, um, you have to have context behind some of these videos that you see when it comes to the application and why people are doing things. But for those that haven't seen it, LeBron James was uh, doing a back squat he's in a pretty wide stance i believe he had a box underneath of him um mechanics maybe you know less than desired but again we don't know the context of why that trainer was applying that i'm assuming the trainer that is working with lebron james is pretty qualified mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like pretty qualified what are your thoughts on you know that movement um context things of that nature with with that squat
1: yeah i think you you um you're spot on there in in the, in the context is key and it's you know, I remember I hadn't seen it, so you sent me the video of it. Uh, and I think, you know, it's almost like a loaded question. Hey, we think of this? And it's like, it's so easy to bash it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, always oh, has got tens on the side. Like, I mean, look at his feet position. It's awful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think, yeah, he, he, LeBron James, okay? He's a, he's a physical specimen. He's incredibly gifted. There's no way he's hiring someone that doesn't know what they're doing. And that person, it might be the last exercise they do. It might be a prehab exercise. And I was saying to you, his feet being so wide, like his hips are going to be in internal rotation and he's going to feel that in the groin. So maybe he's trying to work through a groin issue. And like the range of motion was so small as well and the weight was so light. It makes Okay, maybe he just, maybe he likes it. Maybe it's like, you know what, this makes me feel good. Okay, LeBron, whatever makes you feel good is going to help you play better. Because right now it's just about like your your motivation to train and stay healthy. You're the age you are, you're the player you are. Like I, I... I would be a fool to go at that exercise online, and just bash it because there is no context. And like I said, that guy gets paid probably a lot of money to train LeBron. Now I'm sure there's areas that that guy could still improve, but he'll probably tell you that himself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely an interesting video, uh, and I think, and you know what, Mr. <laughs> LeBron, maybe you just put it out there to to just give the haters some some juice, you know? Like maybe it's just like, hey, let's film this real quick. Like you just never know, you know?
0: Absolutely, no like bad plus. Bad publicity is good publicity, mm. but I think it's important to understand, too, is, like, it's it's important for LeBron to save those high-output, high-threshold strategies for dunking and mm. for basketball, right? Mm. Like, we get so caught up in just the general population and trying to make high school athletes, adolescent athletes, college athletes, professional athletes— you know, like weight room specialist. You know, and you have to see the end goal. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, how does this strength program, how does this movement translate to them being a better athlete, a more robust, a more robust athlete, a better individual on the playing field? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that context is super, super key because for LeBron, dunking is more than squatting. You know, yeah. like that's just the reality of it. He doesn't get paid to squat; he gets paid to to dunk a basketball. And uh, I don't think anyone's underestimating that uh, that ability. So, just kind of kind of wrapping up things here is I want to talk about Clay Thompson. Um, obviously, a high level shooting guard for the Warriors, the Splash Brother alongside Steph Curry. But recently, he suffered a uh, an ACL injury, and then uh, most recently, he also sustained an Achilles injury. And to my knowledge, I believe he was relatively close to getting back to like game speed and kind of like sport specific uh, movements and and. Uh, drills in his rehab you know what role do you feel like you play in uh you know injury risk reduction obviously we know that prevention doesn't really exist um what role do you feel like strength coaches play in that process
1: i think um you know let's just say i think i've heard this quote strength is the mother of all qualities and i think the stronger you are um and hopefully it's the right strength like if you're a powerlifter you're going to be incredibly strong but like if you try and sprint down the court, you might pull your hamstring, you know? Like mm-hmm. uh, if you've seen it, it's like generation and like, you know, it's just that the injuries some of these guys sustain from like, you know, just sprinting or jumping, like they're just, they're strong, but like you have to have the right strength obviously with basketball and with athletes to have that robustness. So I think that goes back to the exercise progressions and training for your sport correctly. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if you don't do an ex, if you don't do a workout program and you're not in the weight room, and you're not doing the right stuff you're just going to set yourself up for something whether it's the ankles because your body's going to fatigue and so your body's going to fatigue and the stronger you are i think the less you lose your balance i think the less you lose your stability in those uh, positions when you play on the field um, and obviously look, the, the less strong your VMO well the weaker your vmo and the weaker your hamstring especially eccentrically it's just a higher um, chance of you getting an acl injury you know so it's like especially if you don't do any jump mechanics your hamstrings are super weak like, you're just going to have a higher high chance of getting injured. So, yeah, I, I think we do play a role. I think Justin and I, you know, as sports staff, we take, we take injury rates very seriously. And I guess a source of pride. You know, there's, there's definitely luck in there. You know, you look at, um, you know, the, the guard at Villanova, like how he lands, you land on someone's foot and, like, you do your knee, like, hey, like, that's just bad luck. Mm. You know, you, the, and, and with clay, um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, the ACL can just cause such, such problems for years to come. Um, but I'll tell you this about his Achilles injury it's, it's funny, I was, I was watching a, um, a presentation and it was a guy that worked for the Utah Jazz and one of the first and this was back um, back in the 90s I think when it was you know, the, the last dance and they were playing against each other and he was saying how, he showed the video of Kevin Durant doing his Achilles and he said you know what's interesting is Kevin Durant had pulled his calf a few weeks earlier and he said pulling your calf and not letting that recover can predispose you to an Achilles injury and I was like wow I didn't know that, Like that's crazy so it's like obviously you pulled one which is still serious but minor compared to the achilles and so it's like you wonder what their return of play protocols were for the calf and i'm not bashing anyone i don't have any idea of the context like we've talked about but i just think you know and like I say with clay when you said his achilles injury i'm like well i wonder if has how his calf was i wonder if his calf was you know fully as, as strong as it was pre-acl injury you know i don't even know if it's the same leg i'll be honest i haven't looked into his injuries too much um But, like, yeah, I think for us as strength coaches, you know, you can't prevent injuries, but you can definitely reduce the chance of getting one, especially soft tissue injuries. Like, especially soft tissue, if you're doing FRC, you're doing a lot of mobility work, maybe you reduce stuff such as, like, labrum, maybe you reduce, like, you know, those kind of stuff. But, like, if you get hit on the head with a boxing glove, like, you get punched in the face, you might get a concussion. You can't really prevent that. But I tell you what, if you get, if you do some neck training, you know, I think if you, it's like a a five-pound increase in, like, neck strength is, like, a 5% reduction in concussion. That That's definitely a wrong quote, but I saw something about that. I'm like, you know what? Like, we can still do something to reduce the concussion. You know, like, if you've got a stronger neck, like, I know it's going to help. It's definitely not going to hurt it. I think that's what I'd say about the weight room. Like, it's going to help. Can we put percentage on how much? No, but I tell you what, if you don't do it, you're going to be in problem. You're going to have some problems. Yeah, you, you kind of have to address those things,
0: and I think it's important, too, to you know, address different tissue types and kind of their roles, you know, like obviously muscle is going to respond differently to load than say a tendon or a ligament or some type of cartilage connective tissue and a weight bearing load bearing joint. Um, And I know for tendons specifically, uh, and again, this could be an, an entirely separate podcast where you talk about these things. But a lot of the research says, like, you know, you need, you need to improve tendon stiffness because that tendon is what connects to the bone. Yep. The muscle pulls the tendon, which moves the bone. You know, a lot of low load, long duration holds to yep. really improve and optimize that tendon stiffness. And I think that's something in my world where I work with a lot of power lifters, weight lifters, You know, I'm like, hey, you're doing all of these things to address full range of motion and muscle strength and muscle capacity. But you're not doing anything to isolate that tendon, yeah. so that you can optimize, yeah. uh, you know, or, or reduce pathology to that tendon, whether it's a tendonitis, tendinopathy, whatever you want to call it. Do you do a lot of tendon-specific work with your guys?
1: Yeah, we do. I started smiling when you said that because it's again that was something I was looking at in the summer, and I had been exposed to just for some guys talking about their their use of isometric holds, and I, we had a couple of guys, red shirt guys, that had some patellar tendonopathy issues. Um, and so it's like oh, I wish I'd done like some isometrics with them earlier, you know. That's something we actually utilized in season with the starters uh, and with the development guys, just because, like I say, you're not going to have that change in muscle length that you get with eccentric concentric. Yes, it's obviously not just going to stay dead still in an isometric hold, but you're not going to get that that soreness. You're still going to activate the muscle you want to, so you're gonna you can load that isometric up as well. Floating heel side lunge is one of my favorite ones i think it works the groin is you know like opening up that groin um any way we can get these guys to play lower and longer is what my head coach craves every day with these guys so i have to do that in the weight room which is a great thing it's like hey man like i'm putting you in these positions i even told some of these guys today we were doing a wall sit and we did double leg last week max set just to see how they could compete and probably about eight of the guys had 20 minutes which is pretty impressive and then today we did single leg i said hey single leg wall sit okay like yeah it's gonna light you up i'm gonna hold it for 20 seconds and they're like oh my gosh i'm like yeah like i'm trying to get you to be lower like so if i can do put you in these positions and if i can put you in a lunge position a squat position a side lunge position and i can hold that isometric it's going to work you in a completely different way i know i'm ticking off tendon health and i'm getting you in a low position which forces you and taking pictures of it say hey you think you're low right here look at my phone nope you're not oh wow my hips are up yeah that's why i'm telling you to get low next set get lower boom, they get lower, they see the picture of it, ah, oh, that's what it feels like, yeah, because you got to feel it in the weight room before coaches asking you to do it on the court, hey, get low in your shot, and they're like, I am low, and it's like, nobody. you're 6'8", you think you're low, <laughs> like, we need a, and so that's just been kind of cool, we've definitely been doing that a lot more this year um, than ever before, so I just, I completely agree with you, I think it's, you train the muscle, I think FRC trains mobility in the joint, I think flex, stretching trains flexibility in the muscles, but like, hey, man, like, you got to cast those tendons, you know?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of untapped potential there. Um, Matt, man, I would love to trade positions for you for just like a week. And not necessarily trade positions, but just like follow you around and pick your brain because – as you guys can see, like this man is incredibly knowledgeable, very passionate about what he does, and I think the Furman uh, golf team and, and men's basketball team and other athletes that you work with are in tremendous hands. So, last question before we let you go, because we know the life of a strength coach is pretty is pretty it's pretty busy. Um, what does being a coach mean to you? You know, the first part of that word is strength. We know what strength is, but what does being a coach mean to you in your terms?
1: Um, I come from a family of teachers brother, mum, sister, dad, teaching, uh, you know, education teachers. And I feel like a coach is a teacher. um, uh, And obviously with me rambling on in this podcast with all that kind of stuff, like I love giving the guys the knowledge and the education piece of why we're doing stuff. Um, So that's first off, like I see myself as a teacher and then, you know, I, I hope as a coach, you know, that means to me that like there's a lot of responsibility there on how I lead my life and how the guys see me lead my life, especially as a strength coach. You know, I saw a little debate on Twitter the other day about hey, it doesn't matter if you're a big strength coach, if you're muscular, if you work out, like it's not what you know, it's you know how much you care. And I'm like, I'm 50-50 there. It's like, no, like if I'm, if I'm a huge strength coach and I don't take care of my body, like I think that's, I think I can be a fraud there. So being a coach for me means I gotta be a role model to these guys every day. They make me a better person by being around their energy and their youthfulness and their struggles and their, their victories, like that gives me a lot of perspective um i like to think i can mentor them through some stuff because i'm gonna be 31 this week 32 this week and i was in college when they you know a while ago and so i just feel like i feel like god's put me in this position to try and impact them the best way i can to help them prepare to win at life to teach them everything i know because there's no point just storing it up like i want to share the knowledge that i've i love to learn about um and then yeah just hope to be a brother to them like I, i want. I honestly want my athletes to see me as a big brother. If I hold them accountable, they know it's because I love them and care about them. And if I hold them accountable, it's probably because I'm right, because the clock says this time and you're telling me it doesn't, but you're late because the clock says this time. So I'm holding you accountable to that. And you'll respect that when you have to go return up for work and your boss says you're late and you're not gonna try and argue that. Um, The good question, but yeah, a teacher and hopefully a mentor, a role model, big brother to these guys. I love
0: that. I love that. That's incredible. Um, well, Matt, we're going to let you go. Uh, we know you got some more athletes to work with today, but I'm sure Matt will be back on the podcast at a later date, hoping we can get out here and kind of watch him uh, live and in person, kind of see see a lot of these principles used. Um, but we'll have him back on. Matt, how can the people find you on uh, social media? Oh,
1: gosh, I don't know if I know my handle. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm definitely on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's probably the best one. That's That's where I like to – that's almost like my professional page, as it? Where my Instagram is just more personal. I just, I love getting outside and going to state parks, as you've probably seen. Like, I, just I put, love that. I love that. I just that. put workout, <laughs> you no, know, not workout, but I like pics of me being outside all the time and on my bike and going for runs. Um, I think my Twitter is S-Coach underscore Aldo, I think.
0: Uh, I'll be sure to put it in the, the show notes on the podcast so people can find you. Perfect. For sure. Because yeah, I know. That.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, any, any last closing thoughts before we let you go? Um, no, man. I, just, I think it's awesome that you've you decided to do this podcast. I think it's great. I think um, the guests you have on, I'm looking forward to hearing the episodes myself. And, yeah, hopefully when we don't have to wear the masks and, and we're not so restricted, yeah, man, you can come back any time and I'll come visit you and, yeah, let's keep this going.
0: Awesome, man. All right. See you guys. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Greenville Moves podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the Green Bull Moves podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Stay moving.